turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at a brief, a relatively short passage. Last year, last year, good night. Last week, we read 23 verses, did the entire chapter of Romans 6. Not quite the entire chapter, but we hit a lot of the highlights. Today, though, I'd just like to look at three short verses here in Luke chapter 8. You follow along silently as I read aloud. The scriptures tell us, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I pray now that you'd fill me with the power of your spirit. I pray that you'd help me to communicate your word faithfully, Lord, effectively. I pray that uh, the, the person here that perhaps has the least experience with preaching would glean something, Lord, as well as the, the seasoned uh, believer that, that's been listening to teaching and preaching for years, Lord. I pray each of them would be granted something this morning that would help them. Lord, most of all, we pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know the glad tidings that Jesus was preaching about, Lord, they're not a part of your kingdom. I pray that today uh, would be a day of salvation for them. We're thankful for the time together. Bless now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My wife asked me a couple days ago, I think, uh, what is it you're going to talk about today? I said, well, it's Girl Scout Sunday. I've been thinking about what message can I preach that deals with girls or women, amen? You know, sometimes people have this idea that in the Bible, women are second class. In fact, some of your uh, women's rights groups and things like that say, oh, the Bible puts women down, the Bible denigrates women, the Bible does things. And there are certain passages of Scripture that if you don't understand the context that they're given in, I can understand how you would come to that conclusion. But the fact of the matter is, it's very interesting. The very first prophecy concerning God sending His Son to come and to die on the cross for our sins is found in Genesis chapter 3. And then we're told that it'll be of the seed of woman. We like to make a big deal about the, the family name, right? And, and, and being like that, and carrying on the family heritage. But the Bible very specifically said it'd be the seed of woman that would crush the serpent's head. That, of course, it bruised Adam and Eve's heel in all of us, because wherefore has been one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. So that's what that prophecy is about. Well, here, 4,000 years has passed. Uh, say, Pastor Mike, that's how long from the garden until the time of Christ? Pretty much. Now, some people aren't sure if the genealogies there in Genesis are exactly uh, right on the money, but if you subtract the, the, the time from when they had their kid until they died and all that, I'm not a math guy, amen, I'm a preacher, but I'm told that's a round number, it's right about 4,000 years. 4,000 years earlier, God had promised Eve that someday the seed of woman would come and would crush the serpent's head. Now, Jesus has arrived. And now the crushing has begun. Amen. I heard a country preacher one time preach a message when I was a kid. He said, head busting runs in my family. Amen. <laughs> Talking about, you know, the, the, the Lord crushing the serpent's head like that. Uh, but anyway, it, it was, uh, Jesus is there. We read there in verse 1 that he goes about and he's preaching. I want you to notice, first of all, the emphasis on preaching. Pastor Mike, why should we come on a Sunday morning and listen to some guy like you stand there and flap his jaws and try to say something to, to hopefully catch, because the Bible says that God uses the foolishness of preaching. Isn't that funny? Well, that's right. We're supposed to take it serious. Paul said it was foolishness, amen? He says, if God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, 
You know, to the world, it's foolishness. Why? Because they don't understand the spiritual significance. But the Bible says that to those of us that are saved, to those that have had a time that we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching is the power of God unto salvation. Paul told Timothy in his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. I really enjoyed hearing the young ladies sing this morning. I, I, I love good singing. I used to sing in a men's quartet uh, years ago, sang in the choir. Back in my home church, someone was visiting a couple weeks ago, and uh, they lived down in Oakland County, and they ran into somebody from my home church, and they said, the, the one thing they mentioned, uh, Pastor Mike, you said you had a wonderful singing voice. I said, I know. I said, up in Caseville, I'm a preacher, but down in Rochester Hills, I'm a singer. That's, that's, how, that's how my home uh, church views me, because that's what we did. And I'm all for singing. I love good singing. I love good special music, but the Bible didn't say to go out and sing the word. The Bible said to go out and preach the word. And many of our churches have lost their emphasis on proclaiming and on showing what does the word of God say. Folks, Jesus told Satan in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we need to understand the importance of, of getting into God's word and seeing this. And now Jesus, he's preaching. In fact, if we were to go back earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we would discover that right about the time he begins his public ministry. Now you say, Pastor Mike, what do you mean by that? Well, we read all about the birth of Christ. We read about his actual birth there in Luke chapter 2. We read about a visit from the wise men, which probably took place when he was close to two years old, in Matthew chapter 2. And then we read about a visit to the temple when he was about 12 years old, later on in Luke chapter 2. And that's the only thing we know about Jesus' early life. That's all we know about. The next time we see Jesus, we're told at his baptism that he's about 30 years of age. Holy cow, Pastor Mike, what did he do for 18 years? Most Bible scholars believe that probably what has likely happened, Joseph was so much older than Mary, which was the custom back then. Uh, Joseph was so much older than Mary that he had passed away, and Jesus, as the oldest son, was likely supporting Mary and the kids she had with Joseph after Jesus was born. And he was taking care of them as a carpenter. And then when they got to the age where they could support themselves, then he began his earthly ministry. Now, the significance of, being, of doing his earthly ministry at 30 can also tie into the Old Testament law because we read that the Levites, those that served as priests in the temple, they didn't become Levites until they were 30. Now, I'm not going to tell you that they retired into 50, amen, because I'm a little past that. But that's a, they, they, they served in the temple from age 30 to age 50, and that was, when they, that was when they did their service according to the Old Testament law. So some people see that significance of Jesus beginning his ministry at 30 because he was waiting on that. Not really sure, but now he's at an age where he's able to, to start preaching and teaching. And one of the first things he does is he visits the synagogue. And I love this. Well, this, is a great, this is a great passage, too. It says, as was his custom. I like that. Jesus went to church. Amen? He grew up going to church. It was his custom. And now as a young man, he's sitting there, and the leader of the synagogue saw him there and suggested that he read a passage of Scripture. And he, and he stood up, and he read a passage from the prophet Isaiah, and he told him, he said, hey, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. You think, boy, what, wouldn't that have been something to be in church and have a guy stand up and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm the son of God. I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet. Wouldn't that be a great day? That's not how they reacted. They, they were thinking about trying to stone it. They're thinking about trying to get rid of it. 
But he's told me, he says, hey, listen, I'm here. I'm here to set the, the, the captives at liberty. I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. I'm here to heal the lame, uh, to make the blind see. This is being fulfilled right now before your eyes. And that really marked what his ministry was. His ministry consisted of preaching. And I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor Mike, come on. He made blind people see. He made lame people walk. He cast demons out of people that were possessed. Uh, he, he healed lepers. He, he fed 5,000 at one occasion. He fed 4,000 at another occasion. I mean, he did lots of stuff. Yeah, but that wasn't the focus of his ministry. Now, I'm not stupid. I realized that when people heard they might get a free meal, they showed up. Amen? I know how that goes. I know how that goes. But, nonetheless, he was there teaching and preaching. Now, what was the message? What was the good tidings? The very word gospel, folks, means good news. If you were to look at the Greek word translated gospel, it means good news. What's the good news? The good news is God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. All of us are born into this world with a sinful nature. My dad never had to take me by the hand and say, Mike, today we're going to teach you how to mouth off your mom. Tomorrow we're going to teach you how to fight with your sisters. And the next week we're going to teach you how to give your teachers a school a hard time. Once you start that. All the teachers said, oh, me, amen. Uh, that, that just comes natural. No, you don't have to teach kids that. That's just natural. And don't look down your nose at the kids the way you, the reason your kids are that way is because they're just like you, amen? And you're just like your parents and your parents before them. We all have that sin nature. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a lot of churches in America today that are telling people that if you work at it hard enough, if you try your best, if you check off the, the, the boxes on the list, that you can somehow make yourself good enough to go to heaven someday. And I talk to people like that all the time. Well, Pastor Mike, I'm just hoping God puts my good stuff here, my bad stuff here. I hope my good stuff always oh, the bad stuff, and, and, and the Lord lets me slip in. But folks, none of us can ever do enough good stuff. Let me point something out to you. If you could be good enough to get to heaven on your own, why would God send his son to die on the cross for our sins? Why would Jesus suffer what he suffered? If you know anything at all about the crucifixion, well, I know, I know, Pastor Mike Easter's not for another five or six weeks. You're getting ahead of yourself there. That's all right. We can talk about the crucifixion every Sunday. Amen? We don't have to talk about the Lord's uh, resurrection stuff only on Easter. We can talk about that all the time. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, the, the crucifixion was one of the most brutal, painful ways for a person to die. Why would God allow Jesus to go through that? Because he was paying the penalty of our sin. Our sin separated us from God Almighty. And Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty in full. What did he say before he gave up the ghost, folks? It is what? Finished. It's finished. By the way, he didn't say, I made the down payment. Now you pick up the payments. <laughs> Amen. He said, it is finished. The book of Hebrews says, Christ has suffered once for all. It's done. It's finished. He's made the sacrifice. Hey, that's good news. I don't know about you, but even though I, I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as a kid, very young kid. Uh, I, I think it was the summer I turned five years old. Pastor Mike, do you really think you understood? Listen, I didn't understand the virgin birth. I didn't understand the atoning blood. I didn't understand the eternal security of the believer. I didn't understand absent from the body is present with the Lord, but I understood as a five-year-old kid that I was a sinner. I was a sinner. That sin was actually a word still being used. Even at the public schools, sin was a word used when I was a kid. 
paddles were used. Well, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, but, but moving along, you know, that's, these are things that I understood. And, and the gospel was shared with me. I was exposed to it often. And man, I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love to tell you that since that day that I prayed the sinner's prayer, that I have always done the right thing. But I'd be lying through my teeth if I said that. And don't look so self-righteous at me. You haven't always done the right thing either. Even though we're saved, even though we've had time to trust in Christ, we still have a sin nature. But you know what? There's still good news. You know why? Because the gospel saves. Amen? Our sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth me from all my sin. 1 John 1.7 tells us. So what a tremendous, tremendous thing. So Jesus is going around. He's preaching the good tidings. He's letting folks know. He's going to the cities. He's going to the villages. He's going everywhere that people will go. And notice that last phrase of verse 1 of chapter 8. The Bible says the 12 were with him. Now who were the 12? Well, we got uh, Andrew and we got Simon Peter. We got James and John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, uh, 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 the other James, James the Less, Judas Iscariot. Uh, there's the tax collector, Levi, sometimes called Matthew. And there's a couple others. Amen. By saying the song, I can list all 12, but I'm not going to do that. There were 12 beside I won't do that to you. Amen. I won't do that to you. But these 12, they're traveling with him. Now, here's something to think about. When you think about ministry, when you think about going to church, a lot of what we identify with church or sometimes what we think about with ministry, we have a tendency to think about the preacher because he's the minister. Now, sometimes preachers get this big idea that because all these people are here to listen to them and stuff, that there's somebody special. But the truth of the matter is, God tells us that every believer, every person that's trusted Christ as their Savior, they all are part of God's body. They're all part of the body of the church and they all have a function in the church. Now let me, let me share something with you. You might not think your little toe is very important. But if you slip off your shoe, and you take your little toe, and you kick the corner of that old pew as hard as you can, you're going to decide in a hurry, my little toe is more important than I thought it was. Amen? That's really a lot of this stuff. And you know, a lot of times we place a big emphasis on ministry that is visible. When we think about the ministry of Jesus Christ, we think about Jesus. We think about the 12 disciples and how they were there and they were assisting him and he sent them out and they taught and they preached and they were known. And sometimes people would come to the disciples. We read one time where uh, mothers uh, wanted to bring their little kids to Jesus so he could bless them. And, Jesus, and the disciples said, hey, I read, he, he's too busy. The Bible doesn't say that they said this, but we can read between the lines. Amen. And, hey, get that snotty nose kid out of here. Smells like they need a change too. Amen. Get him out of here. And the Lord doesn't have time for this. And Jesus said, hey, Suffer, allow the little children to come unto me. For as such is the kingdom of heaven. We read one time these, these big 12 disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom when Jesus set it up. Well, I'm, I'm, my, my chair is going to be next to Jesus. Oh no, your chair! My chair is going to be next to And Jesus overheard them arguing and said, Guys, let me show you who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says he took a little child, set the child before him. Said, except you be converted and become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, that childlike faith, that ability to place their faith and trust in what the Lord said. Jesus said, This is how you got to be. You want to be big in my kingdom? You, you got to have the humility of a child. 
You know, it's funny. Sometimes as, as adults, we, we're, we're embarrassed to do things. And kids, a lot of times, they're not embarrassed, amen? If, if uh, somebody, you know, someone comes to church, I won't mention your name, Shelly, amen? But if someone comes to church and they got a pack of gum, and the little kids know about that. Now, you know, Shelly, I might like a pack of gum, but you don't see my... <laughs> you see my grandkids over there. Like, hey, 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 hey. Why? They're humble. They're, they're, hey, I have a need. I, I, I need some gum, amen? And that's what happens that, you know, when I, I drive a bus to the school. And every morning, some kid shows up with something to eat. He immediately has lots of friends on that bus. Amen. Hey, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. Come on, be sure. I'll be your friend. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Kids are humble. They're not too proud. They'll stand at the back. Well, I'd like a piece of gum, but I'm not asking for a piece. I'm not going to. That's why you're being silly. Yeah, I know, I'm being silly about gum because we can all laugh at that, but there's a lot of stuff that we, we get that way about, aren't we? Got to be humble. But these 12, you know, they're arguing. Jesus gave the example of the child. Now, we, we think about Jesus, obviously, that's the focus of his three-year ministry. We think about the 12 disciples, but I love how the Gospel of Luke, remember, the Gospel of Luke presents Jesus from the standpoint of the Son of Man. Luke tells us more about Jesus' earthly relations Luke tells us a lot of details of things that we don't get from the other three Gospels. And Luke shares with us right here that even though we think of Jesus traveling with the 12 disciples, ministering, that along with them, there were other people that traveled also. Look what it says in verse 2. The 12 were with him, verse 1, comma, and certain women. Now let me just clue you into something. When Luke was written, it was written as a manuscript that flowed. There were no chapters, there were no Verse divisions. In fact, it wasn't even a book like this. If we could jump in a time machine and go back to when Luke wrote this, it'd be a scroll of paper. It'd be, you know, rolled up on both ends, and I'm not a good roller, but anyway. It'd be rolled up on both, and you'd unroll it one way and roll it up the other way as you read it. That's how it would look. So it's really all meant to go together. Now, I'm not against the chapters and verses. That helps us to be on the same page. But you've got to read that in one phrase. So, it came to pass afterward, he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and certain women. How about that? Not only did the twelve disciples travel with Jesus, the Bible says there were women traveling with Jesus also. Now, it only names three of them here. First of all, it names Mary Magdalene. The Bible says that she'd had seven demons cast out of her. Then it's Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. The Herod here is not Herod the Great that you read about in Matthew chapter 2 that tried to have Jesus killed. It's one of his sons. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom, uh, his I think they called it a tetrarchy or whatever. But anyway, whatever they called it, uh, it was divided up into like three or four sections, and his sons each got a section. This is one of the sons, okay? But this lady is married to the guy that handles Herod's finances. That's what a steward was. You know, we, we nowadays, some people that are very well off, they'll have personal assistants, you know, because they're too important to pick up their dry cleaning, and they're too important to, you know, pick up their rotisserie chicken from IGA, so they've got to send somebody else to do it. You know, and they got all the stuff to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm happy you, you, you got to do that straight. But a steward in Bible times, you know, if you held a noble position like that, a lot of what you did was listen to people complain. Wouldn't that be a great job to have? They were laying up all day long. Hey, this guy ripped me off. Oh, I didn't rip me off. Like, think about it. Judge Judy, but it ain't a half hour. Ain't none. It's all day long. It's all day long. 
And so they, don't, they can't run to the market. They can't do this stuff. So they got somebody that's running their household for them. Okay, that's what a steward was. Hey, what time is it? Okay, we got time. <laughs> the Bible says, those of us that are saved, we're supposed to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We think about our houses and our checking accounts and our cars and our clothes and our kids. But the truth of the matter is, folks, it's all on loan from God. It's not really ours. I, that's a whole different message. I just got you totally knocked off the track. But anyway, it's required as stewards that a man be found faithful. So her husband is Herod's steward. And so if he's the steward, he's handling all hair stuff. She's probably fairly well off. Now, did she have a demon possession too, or was she sick? We don't know. It only lists Mary Magdalene for sure. The other ones just said they had infirmity, so she may have been healed of something. We don't know. Then the last one, Susanna, this is the only time she's mentioned in the New Testament. I was looking this up because I was hoping to find another reference. This is the only time she's mentioned. But it's not just these three. There's more of them. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice about these ladies. First of all, I want you to notice each one of them had a personal salvation experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, can I say, I'm glad you're here at Calvary Baptist Church this morning. The Calvary Baptist Church can't get you to heaven. No church can get you to heaven. Jesus didn't say, the church is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible teaches that each one of us must have a personal time that we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I like to use the example of marriage to kind of illustrate salvation. That's not original with me. Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 5. But you know, simply believing in marriage doesn't make you married. Try that, guys. You meet some good-looking woman. You believe in marriage? Yes. Oh, I guess we're married. No, you're not going to get off that easy on it. Amen? It doesn't work that way. Believing in marriage is a great thing. That doesn't make you married. Hey, did you know believing in God doesn't make you a child of God? That's my comment. Please don't be offended to me. That's what James said in his book. Thou sayest thou believest in God, thou doest well. The devils also believe in tremble. Satan believes in God, folks. Satan ain't gonna make it. Okay? He's ended up judged someday. He's still fighting, but he's gonna end up judged someday. So simply believing in marriage doesn't make you married. Simply attending a wedding doesn't make you married. Try that. Now, we don't have any real young guy. Well, I got one young guy back there. He's probably not thinking about marriage yet. But you try that. Take a date to a wedding. You walk out of the wedding and say, hey, you and I, we're in a wedding together. We must be married. You can try that, but it ain't going to work. Amen? Attending a wedding doesn't make you married. Hey, listen. Attending a church doesn't make you a child of God. Now, what is it that makes you married? You have to have a time that you personally, purposely receive someone as your spouse, right? When my wife and I got married, it's been a little over 34 years now. The preacher said, Mike, will you take Cherise? I said, no brainer, I'll take her. But we still weren't married. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? We weren't married until the preacher said, Cherise, will you take Mike? Now that's what everybody there was wondering. Now, what do you think? What's going on here? But she said, I will. After that, the preacher pronounced us husband and wife. Listen, folks, Jesus wants to take you. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I'll receive him unto myself. The Bible says in John 1 12, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Each one of these women traveling with Jesus, folks, had had a personal experience of salvation. They had personally put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, that's the most important thing I can emphasize to you this morning. If you don't get anything else out of this message, please examine yourself. Have you had a time that you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we all need to have that time. Well, Pastor Mike, I just feel like I've always been saved. I understand you've been going to church all your life. It might seem that way, but you're going to look back to a point where you realize that you were a sinner. You realize you're separated from God, and you realize you needed to put your faith and trust in Him and, and repent of your sins. So all these, all these women had a time that they repented of the faith. Now, second thing I want you to notice about these women: all these women were actively serving personally in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't read about them. In the other Gospels, they don't mention like Luke does. I think a lot of people sometimes think the ministry is just sort of like, uh, you know, this, this magical, mystical thing. Uh, it's funny. You know, we're talking about childlike faith. A few years back, we had some kids visiting for, uh, for church on one Sunday. And during the Sunday service, while I was preaching, they were back there drawing a picture on an envelope. And after church, they said, hey, I want to give this to God. And they went up and they put it in the offering plate. Because in their mind, they said, well, that's giving to God. So that God's going to directly get that. Don't you just love the way a child's mind works, amen? And I said, that, I said you know, the, the Lord will enjoy that. But, you know, I think sometimes we as adults, we have a disconnect on the actual physical, logistical parts of ministry. We have this idea that Jesus went around preaching, and anytime he needed money, you know, he'd reach into his pocket and he had money. But he didn't. You know, one time when Jesus' taxes were due, he said, Peter, fishing. April 15th is coming up, guys. Maybe we should see the walleye or bite. Amen. I don't know. But he sent Peter fishing. He caught a fish. And in the fish's mouth, there was money that he said, you take that, you pay for your taxes and for my tax. Apparently, Christ didn't have the money on him to just pay his tax. Didn't have it with him. When they got ready to feed the 5,000, one of the disciples, I feel like it was uh, Andrew, maybe it was, maybe it was Philip, well, one of them said, hey, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, a penny was a day's wage back then. If we had 200 days worth of wages, we couldn't feed this crowd. Send them away. There's no way. Now, they did have a little money. The Bible tells us that Judas held the bag. He was a treasurer. They had some money. But apparently that disciple was worried about where they'd get their next meal from if they spent the kitty trying to feed that whole big crowd. He said, send them away, Lord. 200 penny worth wouldn't feed this crowd. And Jesus miraculously broke the five loaves and two fishes that the boy gave but the fact of the matter is, he didn't just make money magically appear. Notice what it says about these women. Number one, they had a personal experience with the Lord. Number two, they were following him. And number three, they were involved ministering. Now, folks, that's an important example for us as believers to follow. There's a lot of people that they, 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 they understand salvation. They understand their, the fact that they're separated from God. They understand they need to put their faith and trust in Christ. But that's as far as they get in the Christian life. And the Bible says, follow him. There's, there's a couple different meanings of that word follow used in your scripture. One of the words follow has the idea of going the same way. And other times the word follow is used in a way that you imitate. Paul, in his uh, letter to the Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. What Paul is saying is there is, imitate me. You know, when I was a little kid, I looked up, well, I, I still look up to my dad. I love my dad. But 
But when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be like my dad. You know, I think I think every little boy has that. And I remember uh, my mom and dad were both working at one time, and I was old enough that I, I was the oldest of four kids. I was the one babysitting. There's a scary thought, amen. But I was babysitting, <laughs> and I'm looking on the shelves at home, and I see Avondale High School, 1957. I thought I remember. I, I think it's my dad. So I got out my dad's year. Oh man, there's all these people signed my dad's yearbook. Here's a picture. My dad was. In athletics and stuff, I found out my dad played basketball. I said, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play basketball. I want to be like my dad. I want to play basketball like my dad. I listened to my dad talk. You know, my dad had a low bass voice. So even though my voice hadn't changed yet, I'm, <clears throat> yeah, mom, how you doing? You know, I answer the phone, <clears throat> hello, you know, as long as I can go, God, man, I want to be like that. I want to walk like that. I want to talk like, you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to follow in my father's footsteps. This isn't a funny thing that happens with sons a lot of times. They want to be just like dad, and suddenly they hit that magical junior high age. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all remember those days, right? And now we want to make our own mark. Now we want to be different. Now we don't want to do things exactly like dad. And that's, just, that's just something about fathers and sons. But I feel like that happens in the Christian life, too. When we first get saved, man, we want to honor the Lord. We want him to be number one in our life. But then we reach a point where, hey, listen... I, I, I've got my own things i got to take care of. I'll, I'll get back with you when I can. We're like those people, Lord, I want to follow you, but suffer me first to go buy this property. Suffer me first to go claim this yoke of oxen. Suffer me first to go bury my mother and father. Then I'll follow. Hey, listen, following the Lord doesn't start out with saying, me first. Following the Lord starts out with saying, you first. So these ladies are following the Lord. And lastly, not only are they following him, but they're meeting the logistical needs of the ministry. Now, you feed one person, you feed one adult male, that, that, that takes a fair amount, depending on the male. Amen? All, all the ladies said amen. All the guys gave everything. Fed somebody else said amen. Well, we had Tyler for a while. We were feeding him. Amen. That makes a lot sometimes. Amen. Especially when they're younger. I mean, I'll tell you, we'd go to Frankenmuth sometimes for the chicken dinner. Uh, after the first one or two trips, I said, we're just going to stop on the edge of Frankenmuth and have a moment of silence for all those chickens that gave up, you know, that, 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 that one last measure of devotion, you know, to help Tyler today. And man, he was bring another plate, bring another plate. But I don't know what he did with I get around that the preacher's suspenders are the picket fence around a graveyard of fried chicken. But Tyler, he don't wear suspenders, so I don't know. I'm picking on poor Tyler. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> But here's the thing. If you were going to take care of Jesus, who else would you get stuck taking care of? There will <laughs> Now who takes care of all this stuff? These guys, they left their nets. We read that in Luke chapter 5. They left their nets. They forsook all and followed him. They didn't follow him with a whole bunch of money. They just went out on their own. Who took care of feeding the disciples? Who took care of buying new clothes when they wore out? Who took care of any lodging expenses they might have? The gospel is silent on that, except for Luke chapter 8. These women, Jesus and Satan, they are following him. And the Bible says they ministered to him from their substance. Now, what does that mean exactly, Pastor Mike? That means they took stuff that belonged to them, and they said, Lord, I want to put this to use in your ministry. 
Why, why do we take offerings in church? Well, you know, we got to pay the preacher. Yeah, that's part of it. That's probably one of the most expensive things. We've got to pay the light bill. got to pay for the deed. Uh, got to take care of, you know, response. But really, folks, part of what we're doing here is what you see on that back wall there. All those missionaries, the 18 different missionaries in different parts of the world, they're carrying the message of Jesus Christ. Those offerings aren't going right into a Bible, but they're going to help support men and their families that are taking the gospel message out. We see this right in the early parts of the ministry. These women ministered to Jesus of their substance. By the way, it wasn't just a one-time thing. Now, you don't read any more about Susanna. This is the only time she's mentioned. But both Mary Magdalene... Now, you know what? Don't take, don't take my word for it. Let me show it to you. All right, here we go. You got your Bible open still to Luke chapter 8? Flip over, if you will, to Luke chapter 23. I want you to look down at verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts in return. And all his acquaintance, and look at the next phrase, and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. You know where those 12 disciples were at the crucifixion, folks? They were out of there. John was there at the cross. We read in John. The rest of them were nowhere to be found. But the women, they were right there at the end. They weren't fair weather followers. They weren't just following him when he was healing people and everybody loved him. They followed him when he was nailed to a cross and everybody was cursing him and spitting on him and accusing him of things. They were still there. They were still there. Look down at verse... uh, 55, and the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld his sepulcher, how his body was laid. After Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus begged Pilate for the body of Jesus to put him in the tomb, the women went along to see. Now they couldn't hang around. It was the preparation of the Sabbath. They couldn't hang around. They had to leave, okay? But now notice in chapter 24, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Who's they? The women also from verse, remember what I told you. you. We look at the chapter and verse and we think, well, this is a new thought. No, this is reading on. The women also, okay, they found the stone rolled away. They entered in. They found not his body. They're talking about it. They saw the man in shining garments. Uh, they told him Jesus was risen. They ran. Look at verse 10. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Now, I want you to see something. The first two ladies mentioned here, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, they didn't just follow Jesus for a little while. They were right there, folks. They were there at what seemed like the end. Praise the Lord. They were right there at the beginning. Amen? Amen. They were there in that first Easter Sunday. And we, I, we won't take the time to, for it right now, because I'm actually going to end. Amen? I'm not going to go ten more minutes. I'm going to actually end right now. All the people said amen. But Mary Magdalene, folks, is the first person that saw Jesus in the flesh. All you folks that say the Bible puts down women. The very first human eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was Mary Magdalene. 
You want to know why I believe it was Mary Magdalene? Because Mary Magdalene, number one, had a personal experience. She put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then she followed him. She supported him. And she stood with him when things were good. She stood with him when things were bad. And on the morning of the third day, she was right there. Certain women who've been healed of diseases and infirmities and had devils cast out were with Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. But would you like to have that said about you someday? Hey, listen. Not only were they saved, but they followed them. Not only did they follow them, but they supported the ministry. Not only did they support the ministry in the heyday, in the good times, and everybody was singing Hosanna, they were supporting the ministry when everybody was screaming, crucify him. But boy, they were there for the resurrection. Amen? I love that. Certain women we follow the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in the word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful for this time together this morning. We're thankful for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. God, I pray that you'd help us.